You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Walter Mosley is the author of the Easy Rollins Mysteries, including Devil in a Blue Dress, and the most recent novel in the series, Little Green, and the Socrates Fortlow Mysteries, including Always Outnumbered, Always Outgunned, recently made into a film for HBO. He's won the O. Henry Award, a Grammy, and a Pan American Lifetime Literature Award. He writes science fiction, literary fiction, plays for the theater. His new novel is Debbie Doesn't Do It Anymore. Thank you for joining me, Walter. Thank you. Walter, this is a, such an interesting book. I think it's read it as an example of what Rudy Rucker calls transreal fiction. Uh, not the mm-hmm. world as it is, but the world as we see it. And you mm-hmm. have such, create such a great character, a woman who is in the life, as they call it, and decides to get out of the life. Talk about creating Debbie Dare, a.k.a. Sandy Peel. Well, it, it's, you know, writing for me is such a... It's it's an an interesting conundrum, even a fun conundrum. What what happened was some years ago, I was talking to somebody. I forget who I was talking to. I forget what we were talking about. But at one point in the conversation, I said, "Well, you know, Debbie doesn't do it anymore," and and I said it, and I went, "Oh my God, that that's such a great title. I have to find the book that goes after that title." For a long time, I thought it would be funny because it's a funny title. It's, it's, it's kind of up title. It sounds like it could be humorous, like comedic, but uh, it just didn't happen. I started writing about her life and her seeing her life uh, uh, rather than somebody watching her, she's watching herself, and it's a whole different experience. And and it's a very um, serious, I wouldn't say dark, but it's a very serious experience. And she has to be on top of her game all the time in order to make it to wherever she's going, either to life or to death. And, uh, and, and so she, she gets created, for me, she gets created in the first three pages where she describes being in the middle of a sex scene in, 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 a, in a porn film. But the things that she's paying attention to are like the camera clicking, the light shining on her skin, the smell of you know, the floral lubricant, whatever, it, it, it has nothing to do with you know, anything sensual. She's just you know, going through the motions, making her film. But then something happens to her. And what happens to her might seem commonplace, but the way you create it, it's a spiritual experience. And it should be a spiritual experience. And I thought you did a great job of making that kind of break in the narrative. Yeah, well, yeah, she, 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 she experiences an orgasm, and she doesn't want to. So it... It's, it's a spiritual experience. It should be a spiritual experience, and she hates it because it's, it's, it's like, you know, all of a sudden she's like going through somebody else's religion and, instead of hers, and, and she's, very, she's very upset about that. And that, more than anything else, changes her life, even though more serious things happen right after that. That's the moment where her life actually changes course. You create such a wonderful cast of characters in this book. And one of the things that keyed me off in this book was that at one point, Debbie has had a relationship with a literature professor, and she has a very 
significant disagreement with him that leads it to an end. And so I'd like you to talk about that perception, the two perceptions of literature, hers and the professor's. Yeah, well, he, he has, um, he's developed, I think defensively, a technical kind of interpretation of literature that his notion is, is how the literature is perceived by others, not by him. So he, he's not interested in story and plot and character and development and all this other stuff. You know, he's interested more in deconstructing the book, which in a way makes it his rather than the writers or the readers or whatever. And uh, Debbie reads for, for enjoyment, for sheer enjoyment, not just sheer enjoyment. When she was a child, her father read to her until she was six. After six, her father had her read to him. And so for her, reading is an act of love, you know, not anything else. And I just, uh, I adore that. I, I, adore, I adore the fact that, that she is actually closer to literature than the literature professor. And that he looks down on her even though she's miles above him. This is such an interesting book because on one hand, it's a very spiritual journey, but you also include elements of crime fiction, and you have this great uh, set cast of characters. And one of the things I love is that one of the biggest, the main character, uh, Theon Pinky, Pinkney, mm -hmm. he's dead for the entirety of the novel. Well, yeah, as, as her career is. But, you know, that, that's what's so interesting. You know, she, she, she quits, you know, being, doing, having sex, any, other, any kind of sex, at, you know, after the eighth page of the novel. But that life, uh, that life of sexuality follows her. And because Theon was the, actually the center of that life, he's the one who got her into it, um, he lives on too. I mean, you know, life and death, you know, there's, there's not a lot of separation in our everyday lives. You know, the people who are important to us, whether they're alive, whether they're dead, whether they're here or somewhere else, they're always with us. And, and, and they help to create and, and recreate us. And, and Debbie lives such a, a, a hyper-real life that her experience is like so clear and so powerful that most people, I think, wouldn't be able to deal with it. That's one of the things I think that this is a result of your prose, I, I think. And your prose in this book at, at least is so goes between being really gritty and intense and then the same prose somehow gets inverted, turned inside out to become dreamlike and surreal. Uh, talk about just crafting the prose. Does this pour off your pen or does this get rewritten? Well, yeah, I do a lot. I mean, writing is rewriting. That's, that's for sure. Though I'm not sure that the thing that you're talking about is something that, that, that I strive to recreate in, in my writing. It, it exists in Debbie, the character. Debbie is a person who, who lives mostly in her mind and her imagination. And she kind of has to because her life is so uh, kind of uh, real and, and surreal at the, at the same time, you know, the, the porn industry in, in Southern California. You, know, you can't really get much crazier than that. And, 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 but she needs to escape from it in her mind, and, and, and she's continually doing it. So there are, I don't think that there's any magical realism to the book, but there are things that she experiences that aren't really there. But 
are for her they're metaphors that she's creating in order to make herself live which she also learned from her father he, he taught her how to live by understanding the world through symbols and images rather than you know what people tell you is real because those people are always lying to you well that's I think gets back to what I was talking about with the the trans real fiction that Rudy mm -hmm. Rucker this I think the idea we have the idea that we experience our lives like video recorders that everything mm. that goes in is a perfect reflection of reality what we don't understand is that the input is controlled by filters that are completely crazy mm -hmm. and that the analysis engine isn't not rendering things exactly what's there but is using all sorts of emotional algorithms to interpret it so our lives we think what we think is reality is essentially a dream that we're manufacturing on the fly yeah well, all of us you know i mean but well, it's so true you know the 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 world we live in and and the people who have studied it are create what i like to call the school of suspicion it starts off with darwin saying no 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 humans didn't just come fully you know bloomed you know they came from tiny little organisms that slowly evolved there's this thing called evolution which has made you which governs you and which is sending you to the future which you know nothing about or uh uh karl marx and coming through hegel saying no there's an economic infrastructure which which actually creates all of your relationships all of uh, the way that you understand your life it's not based on decisions you think you're making. Those decisions were made before you were born. Then it goes on to to uh, to Freud, uh, you know, talking about no, no, no. It's it's not the economic infrastructures. It's the the unconscious. You have all of these instincts going on. And finally, you you come to Einstein and says, anything you see is not real. There's an there's another reality that you will never perceive. You know, when you put all those things together, it makes you understand that that the life you think you're living. Is, is never really what you think or know. It's, it's something else. And, um, and that's a really hard thing for anyone. You want to believe that you, you make choices, that you have will, that you're responsible. But one of the things I think that's in this book is happening is that Debbie Dare, Sandy Peel, is making a choice. Yeah. She is, she, and I think that's conveyed by this kind of uh, transreal prose that you have, at once gritty and intense, but also cerebral. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a tough balance to, to, to capture. Well, not if your character's like that. <laughs> You know, it's like that, that's who she is. So, that's, so it's not, it's not difficult. It might be hard for me to do, but it, it's not hard for me to to imagine for her. You know, because that that's who she is. She's she's very intelligent. She's very well read, surprisingly, and uh, you know, she's been in this industry. But the thing that she, the reason that she can be real is because she makes just one decision. She says, "I'm not doing that anymore." You know, and, and once she makes that decision, everything else falls into place around her. Talk about creating the plot for this book. Did you know where it was going, or did you have to take the same journey that she did in prose? Mostly, because I certainly didn't outline it. I just started writing. That's why, why there's no chapters in the book. It just goes on and on and on, because it's, you know, it, it's just one, one big experience. And, you know, and, and basically, I followed her th through her her experience, you know, you know, st you know, starting with the orgasm, then finding her husband dead, and then, and then saying, "Wow," my, and waking up the next morning saying, I'm, "I'm a different person. This is a new life." I think one of the things that 
interested me about this novel is the uh, the way that you've created all these characters around her. I, I they're all really likable. Even kind of the 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 nominal bad guys are when they're on the page, you like them being on the page being bad even though you wouldn't want them in your life and you might wish them harm were they to come anywhere near you. And also, and, and, and all of that's true because you see it through Debbie's eyes. You know, it's interesting because, you know, a few guys have read the book, you know, I'm glad you like it, but a few guys who read the book and they were upset about the men. They said, well, I don't like those guys. And I said, well, yeah, that's because they, they aren't men as you know men. They're men as this woman knows men. And it, you know, and you don't you don't see who you wish to be in them, you know, and and uh, which is a, you know an interesting <laughs> an interesting notion, you know. Um, but you know, Debbie is so strong as a person, and so uh, committed to her decision that her relationship to to uh, the men uh, is is, um, is completely undaunted, even though there are times when she might should be afraid. She isn't. I, I, you know, you said she's so committed, and I think that's one of the things that makes this book. This is a very intense reading experience. I mean, it's a, it's unputdownable. Why? Thank you. Uh, you just want to once you start it, you figure. Oh, I'm. If you're a kind of person, you might think I'm just going to read the first chapter, and when the first chapter turns out to be the whole book, you just down and read the whole book. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that part of that has to do with. The fact that the reader, I, you allow the reader to identify with Sandy or Debbie mm-hmm. um, so much so that you become as committed as she is. Yeah, well, you at least experience the, uh, the, the commitment. I mean, when, when she has the, when she takes home uh, a young man who, who doesn't really know who she is, you know, and, and um, th- she says, well, you can stay with me, you can, you can sleep with me, but I'm not having sex with you, you know. Uh, you know, if you want to have sex, you have to go in the other room and take care of yourself, whatever. And, you know, but I'm happy to be here with you and, you know, to, be, to, to lie next to you. And, you know, and have him get up, you know, four or five times during the night to go to the next room. So, oh, yeah, hold that thought. I got, I got to go take care of something. I'll be right back, you know. Um, I, I, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a, a for me, it, the, the experience was, was so strong, you know, and her, her love of life is so so strong she's like you know the her she isn't she isn't um limited by aesthetics you know we, there's so, so many of us you know that well in order to for anything to be good there's a, all these things that have to be done first you know but she's willing to look at take life on on any level you know she sees these three you know young boys and uh in in, in the in the desert they they, they go into um you know, to a bathroom and, you know, uh, like you know, an outhouse, actually. And, she, and they're, you know, they're all pissing all over the place. And, you know, when they come out, there's, you know, everything is everywhere. And she, and, and she just, the thing she thinks, I love boys, you know, how wild they are, how much they, you know. It's not like, you know, she's not, um, she's not, she's not limited by life. I mean, part of which comes from the profession, you know, which is a very, you know, physical, very biological kind of profession where you, you get to know people on incredibly intimate levels, you know, not necessarily being intimate with them. And, and part of it is, 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 is her desire to, to create herself, you know, um, all of a sudden, like this desire just comes up on her all of a sudden. She goes, wow, I, I, have, to, I have to change directions now, you know. This is, I think, uh, in many ways, a very Buddhist book. A, a union of opposites, ultimately impure, 
life up to now with an ultimately with a revelation that leads her to pursue a life as a purity and, and to use where she comes from the thing the thing I like the most about um, Debbie and the thing that, and the, that I, I really needed to be true about her is that she's leaving this life but she doesn't hate it and she doesn't hate the people that were in it and she doesn't think that what they that what she did was wrong or what they're doing is wrong she's just taking the, she's taking the next step you know this has been a long journey she's 31 years old she's been you know stuck in in this kind of loop of of uh, self uh destruction because of her father and her mother and their abandonment of her in different ways and now, but now she's you know that was all necessary. Now she's, you know, continuing on. So, so she doesn't have to hate or despise who she was or what she experienced. She can accept all of that. Well, and that's, I think, what makes the book appealing, despite the somewhat off-putting premise, is that you like all the characters, the character likes all the characters, and we as readers rapidly are immersed in a world where we like everybody. And that's really important to engage the reader. Right, and, 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 and to not uh, be fanciful about creating those characters, to, to create a world where people are really rough. You know, when one guy actually kills people for a living, another guy breaks bones for a living. You know, uh, you know people do all of this crazy kind of sexual stuff, and a lot of it is, you know, oppressive. Uh, and, and to still... And to still think, well, I understand that character. Because, you know, if, you, if you're going to understand a character, you can like them. You know, or almost any character. I can think of a few. I, I don't know if I'd be able to say. But, but they're, they're mo- most people, I think, that, you know, if you like them, then whatever they do is more intimate for you, whether you like it or you hate it or whatever. You've written a novel about the pornography industry, the life, and that's an inter- you. That's such an interesting term to call it the life. Mm-hmm. It has such so many connotations that because it's really not life as anybody except the people who are in it know it. No, it's it's true, but it but but there's there's an intensity to it, which I think that you know because a a lot of our experience. You know, the other day I was doing a talk and I'm. And one of the people at the talk, we were all writers, wanted to be a writer. But when I said he should write every day, he said, I don't know if I have, have uh, the time to do that. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of responsibilities, and uh, you know, my job and my wife and my children, you know, he was saying. And I said, yeah, listen, I, I get it. I said, if you believe that you can't do this, if you can't um, write every day, that's fine. I said, but you have to remember one thing. The, the, the company you work for, the, the, the people that you work for, they're going to take every ounce of your creative energy that you, that you offer up. They're going to take everything they can. And at the end of your life, you're going to be an empty husk because they will have taken everything, and there won't even be any footsteps behind you. That's, that's what's going to happen in life if you don't take it, you know, by the neck and, and, and try to, you know, make it something that's yours. And I think that, uh, m- so when somebody says something like, well, that's the life, you say, yes. It's, and, and what it means is it's outside of my experience. My experience is I, I'm doing this kind of repetitious action every day. I'm working on the production line every day. It's, that's not life. It's something else. Now, life is scary. Life is 
people are doing things that you you you, you can't say you 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 want it you covet it you you want to watch it you want to read it in the in the newspaper you want to see it on television you want to hear stories about these crazy wild things that you would never want to be a part of you know but that's the life you know what you what you have is something else and and Debbie has actually even transcended that she's she's gonna she's gonna take a step beyond that you know and really you know experience what it is to be alive. Did you have do much research into the porn industry? Did you talk to people who were in it before you wrote this? No, I, I talked to people <laughs> after I wrote it. <laughs> I thought it was really, I got on a, a plane flying from um, L.A. to uh, New Jersey, and there was a big porn convention in New Jersey. So the plane was filled w- with porn performers. They don't call themselves porn stars. They call themselves performers. And I, and I sat next to this woman, you know, and, and, and it was so wonderful because the first thing she said to me, she said, you're Walter Mosley, right? You know, it was a, a Japanese woman. Um, and I said, yeah. She goes, I, I, I've read your books. You know, so, so you know, because, you know, like the, first thing was, the first thing people say, well, you have a porn uh, actress who's reading books? And, you know, and like the, and the first thing I'm, I, I experienced is this woman reading books. I mean, I'm an American. I've seen, you know, I, I don't know if I've seen a lot of porn, but I've seen a good deal of it. And, uh, and, and for me, as a writer, all I have to do is start somewhere with a character. They've done something. And then, you know, I postulate what that means. You know, uh, after the the five hour flight on the on the plane, I was pretty sure that I had made all the right choices about Debbie, but I didn't know it before. I could have been wrong, you know. But it is fiction, you know, and uh, I, I you know I allow myself to be wrong. I'm, I'm not a I'm a great a great advocate of research. I, I I don't like it. I didn't like homework when I was in school, you know, and you know and and also just like you were saying before, we you know we, we believe that we see the world, that we experience the world, we believe that we know things, you know, but really we only discover things. You know, and that's it. We just keep discovering things, and then you know, move on and discover something else, forgetting what we had before. You know, I think that I think that's really true. So I, I don't, you know, I mean, there's some kind of writing that I don't do because you know you absolutely have to research it to write about it. But but uh, you know, Debbie, I thought I knew enough from what I had seen to be able to create this woman in her life, and I believe that it's very close to something like the real thing. There's a, a fair amount of explicit sex in here, even though it ten, it ends after the first three pages in her life. She mm-hmm. goes back to memories. She remembers things, yeah. yeah. But just snippets of them, not like not like erotic arcs, but no. like just snippets of it. Yeah. Snippets. Yeah. I, talk about, I mean, that's... Uh, uh, decision for you that there's an that's an economic decision for you when you decide to write that even the concept of the book is an economic decision when you say economic decision you mean like selling the book to yeah, people? yeah sure yeah no it's true uh, I've gotten a whole bunch of responses from places in the market saying well no we're not going to review this book well no we're not going to interview you about this book because you know they don't say it but you know they say we you know just talking about this you know and and they haven't read the book you know because if they read the book they would understand that Debbie doesn't do it anymore that that not doing it anymore is about everybody's life about saying no to the life that you're mired in whatever that life is it's like Bartleby more like Bartleby the Scrivener than it is like you know Debbie does Dallas I mean it really is you know it's it's um, it's about um, an experience but people are, are afraid of it but but the truth is is that you know if you want to get rich you don't 
you know, write books, you, you go into real estate. You know, I mean, the, the idea is, is that, you know, to, to, to write something that you feel really uh, connects with the world that you're living in. If you, if, you, if you can connect with the world that you're living in, when you see that, you know, like as Debbie does, uh, you know, there's an alley. On one side of the alley, there's a church. On the other side of the alley, there's, you know, all these, you know, houses and, and, and people who go to work. And in the alley, the dark alley, that's, that's where the porn industry exists. And everybody, you know, you know furtively goes out into that alley. Um, that's, that's, you know, if, if, you see, if you see that as being America to a great degree, um, then it's really important to say it. And, when, you know, when you have this gigantic industry of people uh, who are, are being watched, you know, more closely than anybody has ever watched, you know, every part of their body, every orifice, uh, um, for, for pleasure or release or whatever, but then at the same time those people hate you for it, that's like, that's, a, not, that's literature, you know? You know? I'm, 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 I'm loved uh, for what I represent to him, and he hates me for what I represent to him. Well, I have to say, Bartleby the Scribner is one of my fictional heroes. Well, but that's the thing. Is yeah. that I prefer not. Yeah, I prefer I'm not, not doing not it anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing that anymore. That's basically what he's saying. You yeah. Know, but but you know, it's you know, you know, Smellville is at, at that time, and it's more philosophical. But you know, I. I think this is actually quite philosophical. You just have a grittier setting. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, mean, a... as opposed to a legal uh, copyist. Yeah. <laughs> and and speaking of the gritty setting, one of the things I think that interested me was that the way you covered Southern California in this book it was um, uh, archetypal. Archetypal. You you went to we went to the desert. Mm-hmm. We went to the valley. Mm-hmm. We were at the coast. I mean, you were downtown. I mean, we you capture the different parts of Los Angeles, which for me extends basically from San Diego to Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, I think in a really uh, <laughs> quick manner, but it's it's intense and it's an important part of the book. Yeah, well, I, I think that that um, part of that is you know I like LA and I like to to talk about the different parts of it. Uh, part of it is that. Uh, Debbie's life really reaches everywhere. Everywhere people know who she is because, you know, she's so striking, you know, black-skinned, platinum-haired, blue-eyed, you know. It's just like you look at her and go, oh, my God, this, it's like, you know, everybody knows who she is. But her industry goes everywhere also and affects everybody. And all those people who are affected affect her. You know, parents who, you know, destroyed their children and, and kind of, you know, gave them a... a such a such self hatred that that going into this industry was something really easy to do. Um, um, uh, places that are of incredible wealth uh, that you know, but that wealth is partially based on people like Debbie and and how how they act, you know. And then places that are just extraordinarily beautiful, that you know, that accept you because they're so you know, Los Angeles so so natural, you know, that that they just you know the the, the plant life, the ocean, everything, you know, you know, just you can be part of us. Come, come be here, you know. I think you know, and and you know that one image of the condor, you know, the California condor, that you know maybe represents Debbie more than than anything, you know, and maybe was there, or maybe wasn't there, you know. That's you know. Uh, you know, I you talked about the beautiful landscapes and, and the children, and there's a really great scene in um, the, in the desert 
where she goes to, to track down the parents of the person who was with her husband when he was killed. Yeah. And, and I think that this single scene says so much about so many different things, so economically, and also sympathetically. She has sympathy, you have sympathy, we have sympathy. We understand all these people, even if they're fairly reprehensible. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, one of the things is, is like, you know, when you have some person who's, um, you know, you, you, you mean, either they're um, morally reprehensible or they're criminal or, you know, or, you know, or they're, you know, I, you have these feelings about, about people. And, you know, and maybe you're right and maybe you're wrong about them. But, but the fact is, well, where did they come from? Like, you know, and, 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 and what, you know, what kind of... Uh, uh, environment. What kind? Of, what, what kind of world do, do, does Debbie and her her people come from? You know, she knows it better than anybody. And you know, in in, in that scene, you know, she 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 wants to get revenge because she she. It's not that she loved the girl. It's that she saw herself in the girl, and she, and she was hoping, kind of unconsciously at that time before the book starts, that she could save the girl. And, and somehow in saving her, she saved herself, you know? And so when she, go, when she sees the parents and she goes out to visit the, the parents and she's going to, you know, she has a gun, she has her father's gun, you know? And we already know that, you know, she's at a place where she's a little crazy, she wouldn't mind killing somebody. You know, but, but she realizes once she sees these parents who's destroyed this, this girl's life, she, they, she goes, you know, you know, killing them would actually be a blessing. You know, leaving them alive—they're—they're—they're—they're they're, they're su they're suffering as much as their daughter suffered. You know, and and that's you know that actually makes sense. You know, it makes sense that you know that we, that we're suffering together, and you know that's the way she sees life. You know, so she, and 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 that's why you know the whole book is her trying to have a create a funeral. For her, you know, her really kind of lost ex-porn star husband, um, uh, to give something to those people that she's already left behind. I love Theon Pinkney. <laughs> he is such a great character, and he's so interesting because he's kind of had, lives his life like a cowboy, he's a natural at range in the city. I don't know. There's something about him I found really wonderful. Yeah, no, he's a he's a very he's a very charismatic and, and attractive, very stupid character. Exactly. You know, <laughs> and uh, you know he has a he's he's perceptive. He's stupid, but he's perceptive. He he understands things. You know, and you know and Debbie, you know, has the you know her line about him. I think which is the best one. She goes, yeah, "I loved him, I guess." You know, <laughs> it's like you know because he can't he can't. It's it's hard, you know. It's hard to understand him, and you know. And of course, you know, uh, Jude Leon, the you know the diminutive gay assassin, you know, is madly in love with, with Theon, you know, and uh, you know, and, and was, and, and and you know, he's you know by far more dangerous and, and 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 more depraved than anybody in Debbie's industry. But still, he's kind of a wonderful guy, and he's you know, and and his love for Theon, which I think is you know probably the greatest love in the book, next to. To, to to Sandy and her father, uh, is uh, is monumental. 
Uh, I Jude, Jude Leon is so great. I, there's one line he says, it's, and I think this comes straight from you. I believe uh, I love the theater. The people in there are so wrapped up in stories. And you write a lot of plays, don't you? you just I write had, plays. Yeah, you I just like had that. one that just came out, didn't it? I had a play that that opened in in in, in New Jersey, uh, in New Brunswick, and now it's moving to Off Broadway, which makes me very happy. It's called Lift. You know, it's about two people stuck in an elevator during a, a homegrown terrorist attack. It's really fun. It was really a, it was a fun book to write, you know, so I was a play to write, you know. <laughs> well, talk about the difference between writing a, a play like that and writing a book for you. You know, it's... Is there a difference? Well, there's no... Yes and no. There's no difference in writing, as far as I'm concerned. Writing, you know, is, you know, is putting the right words together on the page. That's, that's what writing is. And no matter what you're writing, that's what you have to do. You've got to put the right words together on the page. It's a job. Yeah. And they, and they have a job. They have to, the words have to do their job. Um, now, I think the, e the easiest thing is writing a novel. As Ian Forster says in Aspects of the Novel, uh, a novel is 50,000 words, more or less, of spongy prose. Um, <laughs> And I think that I think he's right about that. Um, the hardest writing is theater plays because it's it's a living event, different than almost any other kind of writing. It's a living event that there are people on a stage and people in the audience, and the people on the stage are talking. That's really almost all they're doing, is they're talking, 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 and the people in the audience have to be interested enough to forget you know, everything else and only be, be wrapped by, by the language that, that people are performing. And that's a really hard thing, you know, and it's, it's why, you know, actors, especially, you know, theater, actors are a lot like comedians, are completely wrapped up in themselves, and they're, you know, and, and they can't, it's hard for them to leave it. And, you know, Jude loves that because, you know, he's the guy who needs to hide, you know, because he's, he's a dangerous man, and, he's, he, and he has to look like he's not dangerous. And so, you know, being involved in the theater is one of the easiest things for him. He can get lost in that, that forest of emotions that get thrown up by these actors. Well, I would believe it to say that you're a, a, yourself are an actor when you sit down to write this book. You are taking on the role of Debbie for 200-something pages, and you're just, that's your role, and, and you're... No, I agree. It, it's, uh, and it's interesting. I, I found, I, I was writing, I'm, I was turning a, a, a book, um, uh, man in my basement into a screenplay, and I'm, I'm writing on it, writing, writing, thinking about it. And at, at one point, one of the characters says to somebody else, he goes, um, you mean like blood diamonds? And the character looks at him and says, blood diamonds? He says, why don't you say blood chocolate, blood wood, blood coltan, you know? Why don't you say, you know, blood uh, coffee, blood tea? Um, you know, there's blood on everything that comes out of Africa. So how often do you go shopping for diamonds? How often do you get up in the morning and say, I'm going to go buy some diamonds? But coffee, uh, a chocolate, you do that every day, and there's blood all over that too. Now, it was so interesting because it's what I think, but I've never thought it before. I had to be writing in the voice of this character to come up, up with, with, with that language. And it, so it, it was him, you know, saying what he felt, but for me it was a revelation about what I felt. You know, which I, I find really interesting. I, and one thing I love about writing is that you reveal yourself as you're, you're, you're writing. 
As a matter of fact, I, I like to say that, that plot is the structure of revelation. That's, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so many, this is a novel where the entire plot, you would describe it as revealing the character, who she is. By the end of the book, no matter what else has happened, and quite a bit has happened, and it's gripping stuff, it's still what we're there to find out is who is Debbie Dare. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, there's a lot of other great characters in this book, and I, I really like you know, the, the bad guys, Coco, Minetti, mm -hmm. and, and Dick. So talk about creating these guys and bringing in these kind of, you know, using your, your many years of crime fiction expertise to uh, draw kind of a little line of suspense through this novel. Well, you know, without letting it overpower the character. Yeah, well, you know, it's almost, it's almost impossible. The great thing about Debbie, it's impossible to overpower her. I mean, her, her, her character is, is, you know, it's the brightest. Everything else is in black and white, and she's in, like, you know, technicolor. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of amazing. So I, I wasn't worried about that. But, you know, the idea that Debbie and all of her friends live on the margins. They live in between, you know, the world that everybody else lives in and, and, and this kind of dark, shadowy, almost criminal world, you know. These are people who, who cannot, you know, uh, work as a file clerk because they're, they're not, they don't have the skill set to work as a file clerk, but they've spent the weekend with the, the, the senator, you know, on, on, you know, in his house, you know, in, in the Redwoods, you know, that, that they, so obviously they know things that, that regular people who are file clerks and lawyers and all sorts of stuff don't know. Uh, but 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 they're kind of lost, and and, and one, one of the things is a, there's a criminal world that's you know on, on one of the borders of, of this life, and that criminal world floods in on Debbie when her husband dies, and he you know he's like dealing with these people, and now that he's gone, they say, well, hey, he owed me money, now you owe me money, and if she was anybody else. Um, they would have forced her back into the business to pay them money that you know she didn't even know about. But she's Debbie, and so she says, "No, I'm not doing that. You know, that's that's your business with him, not with me." Now, of course, they don't like that, and she has to deal with it. But she's a woman, and so she's not like you know when a you know when when a a, a serious gangster comes in, she's not really going to be able to be physically imposing on those people. But her will is so powerful. That she's that she's able to make a stand, and her will to survive, which is even more powerful than that, uh, makes uh, creates a world in which they have to they have to dissipate. They have to be less important than she is, and uh, and they have to realize that. They say, "Wow, you know, I I can't I can't I can't jump this hurdle." Debbie has a family. She has a real name, Sandy Peel. Yes. And I really, I really liked her family. I thought they were really well done because, as with all these characters, you sort of like them, you sort of don't. They just seem like somebody you might actually meet and have to deal with. So talk about creating her family, especially Cornell, who I, I, I thought he was a very interesting fellow. Well, you know, a terrible thing happened when they were children. The father... Uh, who refuses to 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 work in, inside the system of capitalism? Says I would rather be a criminal and a thug. Says, I'd rather be home with you and your mother, but I I'd rather be a criminal and a thug than be locked in it. 
cooped up in a cage that they don't even put a lock on because they tell me if I come out I'm in trouble. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he, he dies, he gets murdered, and the mother uh, falls into a depression, and the older brother who's lost feels like, well, I have to take control, I have to take control, and so, and so what he does, tries, he tries to beat Debbie into submission to be what he thinks she should be because there's nobody else to do it. He, he, he's, he's helpless, really, but his helplessness makes him aggressive. And, and that, you know, that creates her. And they always, they will always, hate, these two people will always hate each other, this brother and the sister. But when, when you look at it, when I look at it, I feel for both of them, you know. You know it's like, you know, she's, this is where she learned how to deal with those gangsters, you know. She, she, he, he comes in and tries to say something smart, but she's smarter than he is. So she says something, so the only thing he has left is to be violent, you know. And, and, and in that, she defeats him because he can't make her do what he wants her to do. And, you know, and he just wants peace. You know, he lost his father, too. He's lost his mother, too, to depression. And, uh, and, I, and I like working with those characters like that. At one point, uh, Sandy, a.k.a. Debbie, goes to a church with her family, and mm-hmm. there's, there's a, an amazing sermon in there. I, and the, you don't give the minister a name. This thing just happens, and it's a pretty unforgettable part of the novel. Yeah, well, I think that the, the, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about this while I was writing it, but but there, there but there's a, a thing. She's, she, the the minister is is pretty, kind of sick of this structure, this social political structure of this church that everybody's all dressed up, the church is all fancy and really good looking, you know, and, and, and people thinking that, you know, that God is in there, that God somehow cares about how they look or how their church looks, that, that, that God thinks that this is beautiful. He says, what's out there in the world, the ugliness in the world, the people that need help in the world, they're out there and you're in here thinking that you're something great and you're not. You're not great. You need, rather than to come to church, to go out and help the woman down the street who can't get up out of her bed, who, who can't be, you know, sucred. And, um, and I just, you know, I, I mean, that's it's something that I think, but I think it's also, uh, it represents Debbie, you know, the people who are not, you know, who look down on her, you know, who look down on her and her profession. You know, thinking that that they're better, that they're not connected, that that they're that they're dollars and cents, and that they're what what they put into the world doesn't create Debbie, and uh, and Debbie loves the sermon. It's kind of preaching without preaching, and when I finished that, I started thinking, you know, Walter Mosley should get into this preaching business. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, I think there's a certain amount of a uh, sermon in the book served up non, not in the manner that I think sermons were originally meant to be served up as life lessons that you engage you and take you from one place to another and maybe in, while you're experiencing um, the end result is to have some change in the way you analyze the world yeah I, I can see that you know but but it, we see, there's a thing that I like to say that, that, you know, writers aren't teachers. You know, teachers have students and writers have peers. You know, I write a book, you read the book. You know, if you're certainly going to see the book differently than me because we're not the same person. Um, 
and and whether or not you're smarter than I am, I mean a lot of people are. Um, you, your creativity, your sense, your history, your experience will inform the book in ways that are beyond me. You know, and I think that that's what the minister is saying. That you know. You know, you, you can't be looking up to me. I'm, I make just as many mistakes as you do. I'm just, I'm just as mortal as you. You know, we're in here, you know, having a discussion. But most of the time that doesn't happen. And, and with many writers it doesn't happen. A lot of writers begin to think that they're teaching, that they're telling you something that, you know, you should know. And once you start doing that, you, you, you lose the strand, you know, of that kind of long story that's unfolding throughout history. One of the things I think uh, about this book that I thought just really uh, was wonderful was the way that we are so enveloped in both the story and the character and the way you structure it and take us out. So I'd like you to talk about just uh, finding the wholeness of this story because this is a, a story that you know, you it has a perfect beginning and a perfect ending, <laughs> and, and that's a hard thing to. That's a you know, it's hard to to hit the landing. Well, I think that the, the novel starts out with an image of a man who doesn't exist that Debbie sees out of the corner of her eye while in the middle of the sex scene. And it's the, that image, which she doesn't understand what he means yet, that brings on this orgasm. It's not having sex, you know, you know, you know, with Myron Palmer, you know. It's it's actually um, imagining escape, release from this world, and 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 the man later on takes on the name suicide, you know, this image that she, this guy that she's imagining. And I think that you know one and and you know and I also didn't know who he was when I wrote in the beginning. It's just that you know that I knew that she was going to imagine this guy. I didn't know what what he meant to her. Um, and and then so then when you go through the novel, when you say well you know um, you weren't living before, you weren't you know you 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 really weren't even in this business in the life anymore, and now. You're you're going to enter it, and what you have you have a choice of either real life or death, you know. So 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 I have these two poles. All I had to figure out was what was in those poles, you know. Well, she had a husband; he's dead. Well, he had a family, and what about them? She had a family, you know. Uh, and not only does she have like you know a, you know a mother and brother and stepsisters, uh, sister, she also has a son somewhere, you know. And she made a decision a long time ago that she couldn't have that son and live in the life, you know. But now, you know, is it, is is she good enough for her son? Is 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 that the the right way to go? Uh, um, should she just die? And if she died, would it make any difference to anybody in the world? You know, could she just leave you know leave this behind? You know, is it really life that she's not doing anymore? You know, it's not just sex. You know, it's not just, you know, pornography, but it's actually life itself. She has to ask herself all those questions, and all those questions 
uh, come alive in characters, you know, and her mother and how her mother changes when she comes back home, you know, for a visit, you know, um, and how her brother Cornell does not change, cannot change, you know, what 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 her her son does, what she's what she's offered, you know, who she meets when she changes how she looks and nobody recognizes her anymore, but she's still the same person with all the power that she had before she did that, you know, it's a it's really, you know, it, 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 for me, it's very exciting to, cr to create a character. But really, you know, if, 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 if you, you do it long enough, you realize that the, the characters can create themselves. Uh, Walter, what do you have up for us next? Uh, I'm, I'm working on, I have a, uh, a new Easy Rollins novel that's going to come out in about eight months. I, I have a book called Inside a Silver Box, a science fiction book that's going to come out sometime in the, in the summer. Uh, I've been writing a, a book about a, a crazy kind of character. I call it a deconstructionist historian novel. Uh, and then I'm doing this thing called um, the Graphomaniac's Primer. You know, because I realize in, in some kind of real ways that I am a graphomaniac. And so I figure that in this crazy, I mean, it's all letters and words, but it doesn't make any sense, really. Uh, you know, it's going to be really long. It's going to be like a hundred pages, I think. But you know, all this writing and you know, like by hand, um, and I, I'm I'm calling it the Graphomaniac's Primer, and I'm, and I'm saying that it's going to be the um, the the first and and maybe last installment of my memoir. I <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and do we ha are we going to see any more? Uh... Socrates Fort Low? Well, right now I, I've written the pilot for the Socrates Fort Low series for HBO. Mm -hmm. uh, Lawrence Fishburne wants to come back and reprise the role in, in a series, you know, like, you know, maybe eight to 12 episodes a year. Uh, so right now, my writing on Socrates is going to be in film rather than, you know, in books. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. You'll, you won't be adapting your own work, but creating new work for film specifically? Well, you know, Whenever you, you, you change something from one thing to another, it changes. So even if I was writing exactly what I wrote before, it would be completely different because, you know, it just, it just is. It just kind of has to be. Even I'm taking characters that appeared in The Right Mistake, and, but they're different characters when, when you see them on screen, and they have a different life because um, it's film. It's not books. Sounds like The Right Mistake to me. Hey. I've been speaking with Walter Mosley. His new novel is Debbie Doesn't Do It Anymore. Thank you for joining me, Walter. Thank you, Rick. It was great. Great. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.